All right, what's up, true believers? This is the first episode of Spidey Core podcast. Um, I am Lennon. I am Sven. And I'm Garrett. And um, we are going to read Amazing Spider-Man. Um, well, we're going to read, I feel like a, throughout the tenure of the uh, podcast, we will touch on several different Spider-Man books, hopefully. Um, but we're starting with the uh, very first. We're starting with uh, Amazing Spider-Man um, with the origin story in Amazing Fantasy 15 and moving on um, to Amazing Spider-Man. Issue 1 onward. Yeah, issue 1 onward. In this episode, we will cover... Um, Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man issues 1 through 5. Um, real quick, before we get into it, um, just want to go around and do a little bit of an introduction. Um, how each one of us kind of got into Spider-Man, got into Marvel, got into comics in general. Um, our history with the character, with the medium. Um, Garrett, would you like to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, as far as like getting into Spider-Man, like the character himself, I guess it started whenever I was younger. Um, when I was probably like, I want to say like seven or eight years old, maybe I got a PlayStation one and I was sick with like chicken pox. And so my parents got me like, uh, I was playing like Frogger and things like that on my PlayStation Mm -hmm. one. And then my first real delve into like anything specific to spider-man was i got uh, the spider-man video game for the playstation one with the like uh, the one pink symbiote blobs as the villain yeah yeah that game was awesome the one where you like uh like venom is like sort of the enemy but then you team up with venom to fight carnage and then like carnage doc ock is like the horrifying villain at the end of the game yeah i remember that so yeah so that was like where i started kind of getting into spider-man stuff and then just from there i kind of you know, as the movies were coming out, whenever I was a teenager, I, I was watching those. Um, I picked up what actually the way I actually read for this podcast was with the uh, Marvel Masterworks copy of um, Amazing Spider-Man. Basically, like a trade of uh-huh. the first issues of Amazing, Sp- Amazing Spider-Man I got from Barnes and Noble. Uh, with like, I would get gift cards for like, you know, my birthday or whatever. Yeah. Whenever Barnes and Noble was more around when I was younger. Uh, so I, so, you know, just started picking up different books and different movies, different video games to do with Spider-Man. Um, and then that that was kind of just my introduction to Spider-Man, the character himself. So fair enough. Uh, funny side note. I don't know if you know this, but the, uh, the cheat code in that Spider-Man game, uh, to unlock like everything, every costume, every level, everything is, uh, Stan Lee's name backwards. Uh huh. It's like eel nets. (laughs) Sad. Yeah. (laughs) Sad. All right, um, uh, before, Sven. Before we go any further, we're going to establish this is an anti-Stanley stanced podcast. Mm, and Easy. I, I would not say that I'm anti-Stanley stanced. I Easy. would say that I'm more pro Jack Kirby than I am Stanley. But you can't you can't take away everything that Stanley's done. Uh, I think you can. All right, but. go go ahead, go ahead. That's go ahead with I'm, your uh, introduction. I'm Sven. Uh, Spider Man. Uh, my first introduction was watching the uh, the '94 uh, TV show. I saw it when I was about five or six in the year 2000, and I bit down pretty hard on it. I really liked it. Uh, growing up, I just read you know some Spider-Man trades, whatever I could find at Barnes and Noble at the time. Uh, the Spider-Man movie that came out in like 2002-ish was uh, that that was the first PG-13 movie I'd ever seen. I do a lot of begging with my mom to watch it. And, yeah, just 
Spider-Man's been one of my favorite superheroes. I've been pretty into superheroes my whole life. Uh, superhero comics. One of the first uh, single-issue comics I bought was Venom back in the day. Uh, the, the Lethal Protector series. I've read... Good series. Yeah, great series. Uh, read Ultimate Spider-Man in its entirety. I'm an Ultimate Comics apologist. Ultimate Marvel is just awesome. Um, yeah, just I'm a Spider-Man head in general. Read a few issues here and there of Amazing Spider-Man and other, you know, 616 continuity Spider-Man, but not really taking in a, you know, a big endeavor outside of this, outside of, uh, inside Ultimate Spider-Man. So I'm excited to get to work on this. Since Vin mentioned, like, Ultimate Spider-Man, I also, before Lennon, you kind of give your intro, uh, I wanted to mention that another way that I got into Spider-Man as a young kid is, like, uh, we would go visit my family up in Pennsylvania, and there were a lot of thrift stores that, uh, like, going to thrift stores to get comic books was mm -hmm. something I did way before I went to go to comic book stores to yeah. get comic books. Um, and so I would just pick up, like, anything that I saw that had Spider-Man on the cover. I got some, like, cool holographic cover, like re-release type stuff yeah. and that got me into it um so and then i also kind of grew into spider-man 2099 as well so that's something that's like my i guess ultimate spider-man i, I know sven like legendary series. yeah i know sven likes 2099 yeah. i've never really dabbled with 2099 i think the costume is awesome punisher punisher doom and spider-man 2099 are the high points and the other stuff you can completely ignore um so my, I'm Lennon, um, my introduction to Spider-Man was much like Sven, the, um, mid-90s cartoon, I think it was on Fox, yeah, um, was on Fox. I was really, really into the Spider-Man cartoon and the X-Men cartoon as well, um, yes. so I <clears throat> started to show interest, my mom took me to a comic book store, I remember the first comic book shop my mom ever took me to. Um, it was called Cards, Comics, and Beepers in Pembroke Pines, Florida. I don't know why it was Cards, Comics, and Beepers specifically. <laughs> That's pretty crazy now. Um, it's now it's still there. It's now called Corka Comics. Um, I still go every now and then. Um, that store was right next to my grandma's house. It's my, my first store, too. Yeah. Um, I walked in, and at the time, as obviously a very young child, didn't realize that the... Um, that the, you know, single issues were, you know, story arcs. I didn't really realize. So, and I didn't know, I don't know if I necessarily mm -hmm. even read them for the story arcs at the time. Um, but the first issue, I remember specifically the first comic book I ever got was um, Ultimate Team Up number one. Um, it was Spider-Man and Wolverine on the cover. And that's why I picked it up because I wanted to see, it had Spider-Man and Wolverine on the cover. And I was mm -hmm. into the Spider-Man and X-Men cartoons. Um, later on, uh, I, my real introduction to serious comic book reading was through, um, Brian Bendis, New Avengers. Um, Spider-Man is a major, uh, character through the entirety of that series. Um, I've also read, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man in the past few months recently at the urging of Sven, um, and actually really enjoyed it. So my scope for Spider-Man outside of movies, video games, TV has primarily been through um, Bendis' writing. Um, I tried to read the recent uh, Dan Slott Amazing Spider-Man where Peter Parker kind of takes on a Tony Stark role where he's got like Parker Industries. I absolutely could not stand it. I thought it was just complete shit. Um, I could not stand seeing Spider-Man in like a, you know, in like a, 
a role where he's rich and this business tycoon. I don't want that. I want to see Spider-Man at the street level. I want to see him not with like a submarine and I want to see him, you know, I don't know. That's just the Spider-Man that I want to see. So I'm interested to Mm -hmm. read these original stories and kind of see where that aspect of Spider-Man comes from. Yeah, I read uh, uh, Superior Spider-Man and then when they came back from that and started the new Spider-Man number one that Dan Slott had put out, I think in, I think that was maybe 2015 or 14? Uh, maybe 15 or 16, that was pretty recently. bought the first issue and I was so insanely disappointed with it. I was dating this girl at the time and I didn't have wrapping paper for a gift so I just cut up that comic book and, <laughs> and wrapped her gift. <laughs> um, so... Does anybody have any expectations? Does anybody have anything that they're excited for um, going into this? Um, I, I, I want to say that I personally, like I said, my intro to comics as a serious thing more than just, you know, reading them and not... Uh, my intro to serious understanding of comics and following continuity is Bendis's Marvel of the mid-2000s um, where we see that's where a lot of... Marvel characters really get to know each other and really start to interact with each other. I'm interested to read uh, Spider-Man before he's really come into contact with a lot of the other Marvel Universe and a lot of the first time that he's going to come into contact with other Marvel characters. That's something that I'm particularly interested in seeing. Um, anybody else have yeah. any expectations or anything they're excited for? Yeah, I think mainly just for anyone listening and like reading along... Um, kind of like you and I were talking about, uh, outside of this earlier, um, anyone who is familiar with the character of Spider-Man, who isn't particularly familiar with the structure of like early Spider-Man comics, like the first kind of the way in which the storyline goes and the structure goes specifically for amazing Spider-Man comics, it can definitely be like, uh, almost like a shock to your system yeah. <laughs> if, if you're not expect if you don't know what to expect um so i'm just excited to like a, a lot of these of course are you know issues that i'm pretty familiar with and i've read over and over but i'm excited to like go back over them and again for anyone reading along like uh kind of discuss the ways in which amazing spider-man is unique whether that's a positive thing or uh something that we might not completely understand like it, it'll be fun to to kind of tackle it so. yeah spend I've uh, kind of stayed away from a lot of Silver Age stuff, and even like earlier Bronze Age stuff, because kind of just, uh, I feel like the writings, there's just so much expository dialogue, you know, someone jumps down and then they give a full introduction with, you know, three bubbles of three bubbles of backstory and, and you know, their mom's maiden name and all this crap, and, you know, I've, I've kind of just stuck to, to more modern comics, and I'm excited to just take a, ba- take a look back for, you know, the sake of analyzing it, looking at it. I'm expecting a lot of funny stuff. I'm also expecting a lot of cool stuff. I know that when, uh, before Marvel got the rights to the Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man to be in movies back from Fox, or no, Sony, uh, Sony was planning on doing an entire Spider-Man universe, and something like that's feasible with, you know, the X-Men, because there's so many of them, and I thought about it for a long time, and I thought it, it kind of just does make sense. Spider-Man has such a, a rich cast of supporting characters that there really is an entire, you know, Spider-Verse worth of of characters to work with, and I'm excited to, to get into that, you know, because this is the, the primary series where they're all conceived and covered and stuff, you know, so. Yeah, and that's something that, I mean, both of you kind of touched on it, but that's something that is super exciting about 
the Spider-Man universe. I mean, we'll get to it later, of course, with Amazing Spider-Man, how, like, there's obviously, like, Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom, even within the first couple of issues, yeah. characters that you're more familiar with might pop up, but there's so many first appearances, like, in the first structure, like, in the first, uh, in the first like, even, like, 50 issues. Yeah. There's so many first appearances that it's just really exciting and, like, intriguing to see how how creative they were with like starting everything off and bringing so many people so many different characters into the fold that you know in years to come would have their own kind of things going on like sven was saying in the spider yeah Yeah, so It's it's nice to see the genesis of all that yeah yeah um so real quick a couple more things we want to touch on before we get into it um with sven making the comment about how he shied away from a lot of silver age comics um I want to give an. In, uh, we all want to touch on the Silver Age of Comics a little bit. Um, so, Silver Age of Comics is uh, runs from 1956 to circa 1970. Um, it's typically referred to as the latter part of the 50s and the 60s. Um, so, the Silver Age of Comics is. It's got a. It's got a magic to it. It's got a feel to it when you see these archetypical sort of. Uh, sci-fi and superhero things it's a lot of it comes from the golden age and the silver age of comics things weren't quite so dark yet that's something that came with the bronze age um in the 70s um things were very very like lighthearted lighthearted and fun and it's very uh, the way sven made a good point things were very expository um the art was still catching up to the point where now we can have an entire issue with little to no dialogue and we can see what's happening. Not all of the art was on on par with that, so a lot of the writing had to compensate and explain what was going on. Um, a lot of uh, monologues, inner like inner monologues, a lot of thought bubbles, stuff like that. So that's just a brief introduction to the Silver Age. So if anyone's reading along who reads current comics, um, that it's going to be radically different. Um, and that's just a disclaimer. Um, I've read a lot of Bronze Age stuff, uh, other than, you know, uh, other than the mid 2000s, I would say that the Bronze Age is my absolute favorite era of Marvel. Um, I've read a lot of Bronze Age X-Men particularly and other stuff that Chris Claremont's done. Um, so I've never really touched into the Silver Age. Um, this was a, this is a first for me for the most part. I've read a few issues here and there, but I'm pretty excited to kind of, see a different take on things um and while it can definitely be cheesy it can definitely be campy that's like kind of where the character of it all comes from is that it's so of that era and there are some things that age well and some things that don't um but we will uh we will get into that um before we do also i want to give a brief introduction to spider-man uh created in 1962 as we're gonna you know move forward with this um podcast as if the people listening have never heard of spider-man before yeah um so spider-man was created in 1962 by stan lee um at the success of the fantastic four stan lee wanted to create a character that teens could identify with um to kind of uh market the book to a growing teen audience um I read that he intentionally used the name Spider-Man instead of Spider-Boy because he wanted the character to grow up with the series and because he didn't want it to be condescending. He didn't want the character to be looked at as a sidekick or taken less seriously than the Fantastic Four or other um, characters in the continuity. 
Um, apparently, it was hard for him to get the green light from uh, Martin Goodman, who was a publisher at Marvel at the time, and he had to really, really, really fight with him about it. And um, so he gave him a spot on a title called Amazing Fantasy. Um, at the time, Marvel was limited on the amount of books that their publisher would let them have on shelves. Um, and so they would do these anthology type books, books like Amazing Fantasy, Tales of Suspense, Journey into Mystery, stuff like that, where they mm-hmm. could put, since they couldn't have enough books to put all the stories and characters they wanted, the ones that were a little bit less popular, they would put two or three stories into each book, so it would take up less space on the shelf. So Amazing Fantasy was a book that was slated for cancellation. It was a failing book by all accounts. Um, and Martin Goodman told Stan Lee, all right, yeah, whatever, I'll give you this spot on this book. Um, so Spider-Man appeared for the first time in Amazing Fantasy number 15, 1962. Um, I believe it was August of 1962. I could be wrong on that, but I think it's August 1962. Um, and expecting it to just be some throwaway thing, and it obviously turned into, you know, a massive success. Spider-Man is probably the flagship character for Marvel as a continuity in a company, I would say. Probably maybe not as much as anymore, but not yeah, maybe not so much anymore. I would say with the um, advent of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would say maybe now well, Cap, Iron Man, Iron Man Cap, characters yeah. like that. Um, but for a long time, Spider Man was the first. He was like their oh, super. Yeah, until, he was their Superman. Yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. When when Iron Man one came out, he was he was the yeah the Marvel yeah. character. So, um, all right. So, does anybody have anything else to say before we get into it? Yeah, I think you pretty much covered it. The only one thing I was going to mention is that the book, uh, the Amazing Fantasy fifteen, was dated August of sixty two, but it was it actually probably went on sale sometime in the spring of sixty two, from what I understand. Um, so not that that like matters, uh-huh. but no, yeah, <laughs> just for a, yeah, just for a little bit of timeline reference. Okay, um, there. But yeah, that, I think we're I think we're ready to go. I mean, Silver Age for me personally, since you were talking about kind of what you're into. Uh, Silver Age is mostly where I live and breathe as far as the content that I consume. So I might not have perfect uh, ways to relate to those who mostly stick with modern stuff. Uh, but I think that gives me a, a good perspective coming into like mostly discussing the Silver Age stuff. So well, that's what I'm excited about too is that I feel like you're more of a Silver Age guy. I'm more of a Bronze Age guy. Sven is yeah. more of like a modern guy, like a like post Copper Age guy. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that. Uh, we have a good uh, variety of perspective here um, as far as our interests in comics. But we all love Marvel Comics. We all love superheroes. We all love the continuity. So I think it should be good. Um, so let's get into it. Um, Amazing Fantasy number 15. Um, I'm going to give a brief synopsis real quick. This is the origin issue. It's only like 9 or 10 pages long. Um, the Spider-Man story. The Spider-Man story, yeah. There are two stories in the book. The second one is completely unrelated to Spider-Man. But um, I'll get right into it. Um, So my synopsis. Peter Parker is a high school dweeb who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and gains superhuman spider powers. He becomes a wrestler with his powers and uses them for personal gain to make money as he becomes a media sensation. He fails to stop a burglar who steals from the wrestling promoter who hires him, only to find that the very same burglar kills his Uncle Ben. Peter apprehends the burglar and turns him over to the police and sulks off into the night blaming himself for his uncle's death as the book ends. So. Tragic tale. Tragic tale. I think everybody knows it because it has been reiterated reiterated again yeah. and again. Um, but it was really interesting to see it in its original format. Um, to see it, because we see it, you know, in, in the Spider-Man Tobey Maguire movie. We see it in the Andrew Garfield movie. Um, you know, we've seen it in 
Ultimate Spider-Man. We've seen it and you know, it's sort of become the Marvel's equivalent to the Batman origin story with the the robbery in the alleyway and the pearls falling and hitting the ground. A lot of the tropes are the same in all of them. Um, fun fun fact, uh, before Bendis was brought on to do Ultimate Spider-Man number one, somebody that Marvel had reached out to had apparently submitted uh, a complete word-for-word uh, copy of Amazing Fantasy 15 with, with updated art. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Marvel Marvel said no pretty quickly from from what my understanding is but <laughs> so uh, yeah I think I think this is like uh it is cool to come back and read it whenever you're kind of soaked in all the retellings of this story mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I found most interesting was like Earlier, we were talking about how a lot of the storyline is pushed forward by either captions or thought bubbles or things like this versus like the art. And that's something that to me was really striking about like even the last panel of the comic is uh, the with great power comes great responsibility quote. It's just like a caption on the pit. It's not a quote that anyone said, like, of course, a lot. Yeah, it's, you know. it's, it's what the narrator is saying to you. Nobody told this to Spider-Man. That, yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something very interesting. I feel like people have kind of um, retroactively looked at it, and, and they and just I I have always been under the impression that it was a quote from Peter's uncle. I guess mm-hmm. probably because of the movie, I always thought that that was like a you know Peter's uncle's last dying words, uh, Uncle <laughs> Ben telling Peter, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. But it's not even. Ben that says it. It's from the narrator and I thought that was interesting. That was actually a note that I took down here. Um, I also thought it was interesting. I wanted to say a lot of people love Spider-Man because of Peter Parker and a lot of people love Mm -hmm. Spider-Man because they read Spider-Man comics just as much for the Peter Parker story as they do for the Spider-Man story. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. very interesting on the very first page that we see a tiny Spider-Man up in the corner with the header, and we see a silhouette of Spider-Man, but we see Peter It's a first. It's a shadow being cast by Peter. Yes. Looking relatively glum. Well, because he's getting bullied by yeah. his, uh, um, they're calling him, you know... Bookworm. A, a bookworm bookworm. Is, the, is the primary insult. Yeah, they, they can't stop calling him a bookworm. Um, uh, I thought it was really interesting... And I know this is something that gets touched on a lot, but that... So the typical Silver Age art that comes to mind for me is Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby, as an artist, is mm-hmm. probably the most important artist in the history of comic books for the superhero medium. That's undeniable. Um, and he drew the majority of the Silver Age stuff. And all of his stuff is very... All the, the characters are very blocky. Um, they're muscular. It's very fluent and and very like sort of poetry in motion through his art i think that steve ditko who wrote this book his characters are gangly they're awkward looking they're scrawny a lot of the movement feels very awkward and at certain points throughout this issue i kind of hate it i kind of hate looking at it but i understand that for spider-man for peter parker being an awkward weird teenager that fits. It works better. It makes him. It makes it more real than if we had Jack Kirby drawing Peter Parker as like you know, he he doesn't Jack Kirby drawing Peter Parker. He would look like the quarterback on the football team. Not you know what I mean. Not this yeah. like, weird like gangly dude. 
Yeah, since we're talking about kind of the art style and the art direction, there's actually one panel specifically that I wanted to mention. There's this one where it's kind of uh, where he he's just become like a media sensation. And uh-huh. so there's all these news articles on the side. And then in a single panel, it's kind of like Spider-Man posed in several different ways. And he looks like a different shape and size in every single like drawing of himself. Yeah. So it's kind of like what you're saying, how it can almost be like hard to look at. Yeah. It's like it just ma- it makes no sense to look at. Like yeah. it's just like this kind of it's almost like different people are all drawing what they think Spider-Man should look like. But I do think that that is what gives a lot of these early issues their charm is that like just spider-man is kind of coming together like his belt will be uh in later uh issues his belt is even different colors like when he's putting it on and stuff like there's kind of this like uh just strangeness to it but it definitely does fit the spider-man character or the peter parker character so it it never feels like sometimes it might be a little strange to look at but for me personally it never feels like bad you know to look at (laughs) i i think that it works within within the the context of the comic but i will I will come out and say it. I'm not a fan, really, in any way of the art. Uh, we mentioned Jack Kirby a little earlier, and although his characters are really blocky, and they have like this sort of inflexibility to them, when they're moving, and you know, for for the story itself, they're really fluid. They're really articulate. Yeah. And mm-hmm. while you know the characters look kind of like loose, you know that uh that are being drawn in Spider-Man, I kind of just feel like, you know, for, for what they do for the for the story itself, they kind of just, you know, they might as well be made out of cement. They kind of, they just look weird and inflexible and, like, they just don't look like people to me. And uh, the the backgrounds, I think, are, are something else. The settings are, are kind of terrible. I, I think that the figures, <laughs> the figures, they, they, they work for the story, but, you know, if Spider-Man's swinging through the city, the city skyline is, you know, six lines max, and if, and if the shot's indoors, it is just a solid color background. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's no got an aesthetic to it, I, so I you don't it like it. You don't like that. It does have an aesthetic, and I appreciate that it is consolidated, but I just don't have a taste for it. I kind of like it sometimes. I like it sometimes, but overall, just, I don't know. I uh, like the solid color stuff, but I think that is just also a testament to my affinity for, like, the poppy-looking, yeah. like, type yeah, artwork. I, I, do, I, do yeah. like, I do like the way that it comes off. As as a work of art, with a, with a consolidated aesthetic, but I think that for the purpose of storytelling and narrative, it kind of just falls flat. In my in my opinion. So a few things on the on the actual storyline itself that I want to touch on. It is really this Peter Parker and Spider Man that we see here is a far cry from the pi- from the <laughs> Spider Man and Peter Parker characterization that we're used to. Even. I mean, even 20, 30 issues from now in, in Amazing Spider-Man, he will be more fully developed and just so different. Uh, one thing that's so, when I read it, I was just like, that's so not Peter Parker, was uh, he was just kind of kind of a jerk the whole time. Like, in that, he's so different here, and he's he's not like a nice, cool guy the way we kind of expect him to be. In, um, in defense of that, I feel like that's kind of part of the, the story that, you know, he's acting like a jerk and he gets brought back down to size by him acting like a jerk causing the death of his yeah. uncle. So, and I think part of it, too, is Spider-Man being portrayed as, like, instead of this superhero that immediately knows that they need to stick up for the little guy and, like, fight mm-hmm. crime or something, mm-hmm. 
it's almost like it kind of feels like what any normal person would do if they got superpowers. Like, yeah, I'm going to go on TV and make a lot of money. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? True. So, I mean, I don't even think that that speaks. I don't. He definitely comes across as a rude fella throughout yeah. the, the book. Certainly. Yeah. But on the same page, like it kind of makes sense that being like a normal nerdy dude, the first thing he would want to do is like cash in on it. Yeah. For sure. And like, yeah, especially considering like, you know, it does kind of, it makes you feel for him. Like, I don't know. To me, all of that is just him being more than a one dimensional person. Yeah, no, that's where true. it's like, yeah, he's, he's like, certainly, tra- he's certainly not wealthy. He has like his family that he's considering also that he's, you know, yeah. the money for exactly. So that's all. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that the book ends with, so we, we all know, we don't really need to get too much into, you know, the origin, the, the origin. Cause you know, the plot synopsis says it all. This guy uh, comes into the wrestling office. Um, he's he's robbing the dude who hires Spider-Man um, at the wrestling company. He runs past Spider-Man. Spider-Man doesn't stop him. The security guard says, what's with you, mister? All you had to do was trip him or hold him for just a minute. And Spider-Man says, sorry, pal. That's your job. I'm through being pushed around by anyone. From now on, I just look out for number one. And that means me. So the guy gets away and in turn later on committing another robbery, he shoots and kills Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, um, who is Spider-Man, Spider-Man's Uncle Ben and Aunt May are his legal, are Peter's legal guardians. His parents have died when he was the closest thing to his parents. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's interesting that he leaves at the end of the book and he doesn't really mention anything about becoming a superhero or or anything, he just kind of mopes off, and and that's it. And the book ends. Um, I also want point wanted to point out. I think it was interesting that they touched on a lot of uh, his powers, but they did not say anything about his spider sense, which is like that just that just appears, yeah, without explanation in the next few issues. Yeah, his spy and his spider sense is like you know that is to him you know that's just as much. Uh, an essential part of his uh, his kit, if you will, as, as his webs as or any, as his being able to see. You yeah, know I mean? you know, um, that's like his spider sense along with his webs. That's like that's like his a Captain literal, America a literal shield. sixth sense. Yeah, that's his Batman batarang. That's his Wolverine mm-hmm. claws. That's something that is so closely associated with him. So it's interesting that we didn't see the spider sense at all. Um, but yeah, does anybody have anything else they want to say about Amazing Fantasy fifteen before we move on to Amazing Spider Man number one? I think that pretty much covers it. I, I like the fact that, or I rather just want to make note of the fact that Amazing Spider-Man 15, all in all, is a tragedy. Or Amazing like, Fantasy 15? Oh, yeah. Amazing Fantasy 15, I'm sorry. It, it ends as a tragedy. It's just yeah. a, a sad, like you're saying, he's just sulking off into the night and he's, that's like, his uncle's dead and yeah, <laughs> that's it. It ends sad. It's a sad story. Bad, bad news through and through. Yeah. Um, Amazing Spider-Man number one. Uh, this is the first issue of Spider-Man solo series. We see two Spider-Man stories here, uh, presumably because they were stories that were uh, meant early on for um, Amazing Fantasy 16 and probably 17 issues that never came to fruition because the series was canceled. Yeah, so... Um, the synopsis is, this issue picks up where Amazing Fantasy 15 leaves off. After the death of Uncle Ben, Peter fears that he and Aunt May will not be able to pay their bills. When he cannot find work as Peter Parker, he once again dons a Spider-Man costume and returns to wrestling to make money that way. 
However, when J. Jonah Jameson, editor of the Daily Bugle, a local newspaper, goes on a smear campaign of Spider-Man, the wrestling promoter will no longer hire Spidey to work for him. Despite later rescuing J. Jonah Jameson's son, an astronaut whose shuttle launch goes awry, Jameson continues to denounce Spider-Man as a menace, leading him to being put on a wanted list by the FBI. Um, J. Jonah Jameson. King. He is amazing. He is the god that everybody prays to in Marvel Comics before they go to sleep. He is as essential to the story as Spider-Man himself. Okay, that was a weird joke by Sven. If people are reading this who don't know the Marvel continuity, he is in no way a god. <laughs> He's the editor of the newspaper, The Daily Bugle. He is a notorious hard-ass, and he is one of the very few characters in the series and really, you know, many comics that have been long-running since the 60s or so. To have absolutely zero character development. He is unmoving. Yeah, I, I, I like that he... Like we were saying, a lot of these characters, when we see them in these early incarnations, are so different than what we come to know them as now. But J. Jonah Jameson, as soon as you see him right off the bat, he's like, that's it. That's J. Jonah Jameson. That's the way he always will be. And I like that he is... He's. I typically hate comedic relief. But he's like just good comedic relief. He's that's another thing. Um, I'm not really too big of a fan of the 1960s humor. Uh, he is the only joke that I think has no diminishing returns. It holds up perfectly. He's aged like wine. Every single thing he says is funny. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but since we're talking about the humor of J. Jonah Jameson, there's a part of a later that we will discuss in this episode, but there's a part in a later book where Spider-Man like pranks him by putting webbing on his Yes, seat. I had that in my notes. So <laughs> awesome. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. But that, to me, of, of everything that we're going to talk about today, that was like the funniest part that I actually laughed out loud whenever yeah, I Yeah, I did too. That was a high point for me. I was actually going to say, <laughs> um, so interesting that Spider-Man also early on says, I can go anywhere. No one or nothing can stop me. And any amount of money could be mine just for the taking. He's like daydreaming of becoming like a bank robber. I thought that was like an interesting, I don't know. It was weird. The, the primary thing that stops him is that he has this, this, uh, this thought bubble where he thinks about what it would be like when he's in jail and Aunt May is a shoelace peddler. Yeah, she's, she's peddling shoelaces for 10 cents on the side of the street. She's, she's wearing a scarf on her head. She looks like she's wearing Great Depression clothes and she has a, a sign from a cart that she's pushing or holding. It says shoelaces, 10 cents. That's actually in a later book that uh he has that um it's still within these first five but they, he daydreams about that later oh it is um, it's not this issue it's a, it's yeah, a, no, 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 it's, it's a recurring issue. oh it's but a, that no. is all, another one of the like funniest moments of any of these is whatever but just uh, it goes to show that like a lot of his motivation for not doing like the wrong thing is thinking of like where what situation it would put his aunt may in so yeah another thing i thought was really funny on uh, the very last page of the first story, um, uh, there's a, a his wanted poster. It just says, wanted, caution, he is dangerous. <laughs> and nothing else. Not like armed or not like he has power. Just caution, he is dangerous. And then report him to nearest FBI office. Spider-Man, reward for his capture. But no, no further detail about what the reward is. <laughs> or or the crime or just anything. Uh, the the real meat and potatoes of this issue is the uh, the shuttle launch, and this is kind of the thing that I'm not really too big a fan of with uh, Silver Age comics. The the 
fantastical nature of them isn't really anything to be like marveled at. It's just like, oh, this student that likes science is at a rocket launch <laughs> with with a bunch of scientists and presumably NASA. And when the rocket launch starts to fail, something happens on the ship. Some sensor breaks. Spider-Man commandeers a ship, a, a, a plane yeah. from a naval base. And he stands on top of it, gets the pilot to fly alongside the rocket, shoots a web up onto the rocket, and then starts messing around with a rocket that's re-entering the Earth's orbit. Yeah. Um... And then after, I was going to say, I, we start to see the characterization of Spider-Man that we're a little bit more used to when he says, um, I'd, I'd just be embarrassed if everyone wants to congratulate me and make a big fuss about what I've done. Uh, he, and he says, uh, yeah. before that, he says, I'd better make myself scarce now. Like He doesn't want to stick around out, yeah. and, and be praised. He just wants to do what's right and then get out of there. And that's kind of the, the Spider-Man that we're used to. It's like this sort of like thankless existence that he just endures because he feels like he should because he can yeah and that's definitely also a big step in like character development coming from amazing fantasy 15 where that's all he wanted to do is be in the limelight all he wanted to for do him for him to have like grown up pretty immediately into being like i know earlier you were touching on specifically him being called spider man versus spider boy yeah i think that is a big part of it is that he immediately recognizes like oh i need to make myself scarce and like i don't need to be gloating in the glory of like all these which regardless of what he does J. Jonah Jameson is going to make him look bad yeah yeah um, for sure but still but still he kind of is like oh I don't want to hang around and like turn it into this like glorious moment for myself so. yeah something else we got to talk on um so they exclusively refer to him in this issue I don't know if you caught this Garrett but me and Sven did as Peter Palmer they never say Peter Parker in this issue they only <laughs> say Peter Palmer I thought that was really bizarre that that didn't get caught by an editor. Um, I did also, some also, I did some research. Oh, go ahead, uh, Jameson. the The bugle is no more. They, it's called something else. I'm oh, it's called uh, like Now Magazine, I think, or something like that. I thought that was weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, the editor of Now Magazine. Yeah, but um, I thought it was weird that they called him Peter Palmer and that they didn't catch that. And I did some research, and it basically. I found just speculation on forums that in the time between the two stories being written, Stan Lee had like forgotten, like since you said that, you know, I think it said that the story, the first story, there was like a timestamp between its writing and its publishing. Stan Lee didn't expect it to take off. So he just like forgot what Spider-Man's name was supposed to be. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so let's get into the second story, unless anybody has anything else they want to say about this. No, this story. I'm ready to get into the second one. Uh, the chameleon, the chameleon. So, it's interesting here we have the first appearance of like a true Spider-Man villain, which honestly, I think Spider-Man's rogues gallery is far and away superior to any other Marvel character. Um, mm -hmm. Spider-Man's rogues gallery is like on par with Batman's. Um, I think it's, I think it's better than Batman's. I, think I don't has, know. I think he has the number one. Um, but and his character, his villains are really, I think, what's made him made Spider-Man uh enduring you know for decades i mean other than the fact that he's a great character obviously but his villains definitely help um the chameleon is definitely not what i would consider an a-list spider-man villain or even a like a b-list spider-man villain low um, c yeah so it's interesting that we see him first he's like pretty relatively obscure yeah i feel like i feel like all the villains the line between them being a mainstay and them being some kind of throwaway was paper thin you know yeah um, I will say though I love the first page a lot of the art 
a lot of Dicko's art doesn't do anything for me. Um, some of it even annoys me. But the first page with like the giant chameleon over the the buildings, and, and then you see the Fantastic Four kind of looking on. That I from, from a panel, that was yeah. that was cool. I that that did it for me for sure. I also think it's interesting that the very first. What, whenever you think of a traditional Spider-Man villain, I think the chameleon is definitely the first to look that way. Um, yeah. Kind of how you would expect a Spider-Man villain to act and operate and even just come across on paper. Yeah. And he definitely is not an uh, iconic villain whatsoever. Yeah, definitely. He, he's, he's pretty much a glorified mask wearer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it, did, it did interest me that he was the first real appearance of what most people would consider a Spider-Man villain. Uh, just because he leaves such a like lackluster impression. Yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely. Also, I have to um, I have to interject. It was uh, my mistake. It's this story where they refer to uh, Peter Parker as Peter Palmer. Um, the first time I saw it, I thought it was like a typo, and then I saw it throughout the book, and I was like, "Wow, they really just the editor missed that one." Um, but um, so this goes to what I said at the beginning about things I was excited to see. My expectations, which is that this is um, seeing Peter Parker interact with the Fantastic Four. Um, well, let's give the synopsis of the book. Um, so, second story synopsis. Sven, you want to read this one? All right. Basically, make a long story short, Peter, still very tight for cash, decides to try his luck at joining the Fantastic Four to make some money. He sneaks into their headquarters, the Baxter building, and they make th- and they mistake his sneaking in as some kind of hostile confrontation. A fight ensues, and after the fight, Peter explains himself to the Fantastic Four fight ensues and after the fight Peter explains himself to learn the Fantastic Four are a non-profit organization that sentence is worded very bizarrely (laughs) across town a villain named the chameleon who has the ability to disguise himself attempts to steal some weapons to sell to Russians and decides to pin Spider-Man as the fall guy for his crime eventually Spider-Man thwarts the chameleon's attempt yeah, it, it, Gary, it goes back to what you said. The chameleon's power is that he can disguise himself. It is, it is no power. He just a, anyone on Earth could disguise he has, himself. He has, a large, <laughs> he has a large scarf with uh, pockets that he you know pulls wigs and fake mustaches and glasses out of. So he, he really... <laughs> it's no power at all. He's also... Uh, I mean, according to the story, it appears that he is a communist. Because he's <laughs> he's selling the communist sympathizer. He's selling weapons to Russia, and Spider-Man actually insults him by calling him a commie. <laughs> yeah. When he's like <laughs> patriotic, patriotic Spider-Man rescues. I had that in my notes. That Spider-Man <laughs> called him a commie. That was weird. Um, it was like out of left field, like it's just in there. I think so. I think for the time or something, it might have been some insanely hot topic, or you know, I don't know. Um. Uh, we do see that Spider-Man, finally we see the Spidey senses come in. They call them the Spider Instinct senses. And it's when he's getting attacked by Susan Storm, uh, the invisible... I don't remember at this point if she's the invisible girl or the invisible woman. I think, I think, she, I think he calls her girl. Invisible yeah. girl. Invisible girl, so girl. at this point, yeah. Um, and she comes up behind him invisible, and he's alerted to her presence by his Spider Instinct senses. Um, so, uh, all that happens. Um, I thought the... I thought that... Other than the first page, the art, there was nothing that really stood out to me as super cool in this story. Um, and then at the end, uh, Spider-Man like running off into the alleyway and, and literally crying. Nothing turns out right. Sob. I wish I'd never gotten my superpowers. And it's like, he's just, 
is he's such uh uh just like a crybaby. It's like it's crazy. I think uh, something I noticed artistically that I will side with Ven on is that there's a panel whenever he's fighting with the Fantastic Four where uh, Mr. Fantastic is like protecting the Fantastic Four. Oh yeah. It just looks like absolute crap. Like <laughs> it just I'm, so... I haven't I haven't pulled up. I'm oh yeah. It right looks now. so bad. Yeah, it, the, his head is so tiny and like his his body's been blown up to form some sort of wall separating the thing. He and looks Spider-Man. like a piece of blue construction paper. Like <laughs> he just looks so bad. I actually I actually had that 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 page pulled up because the next line, the next uh the next panel, Spider-Man lets out his best line to date. I came up here to join with you guys. Now let's get down to business. How much does the job pay? I figure I'm worth your top salary. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man barged in, demanded a job. They told him we're not hiring. <laughs> and then he said, okay, but let's get down to business. Yeah. How much would you pay me? Insane. His insane assertiveness. I, I do appreciate his confidence. That's that's the first example of a uh, first appearance of funny Spider-Man. Yeah. The, f- the only... only one of two jokes so far I've laughed at. Well, I mean, Spider-Man is known for his banter, so yeah. it's interesting to see some of that. This is this is the on. the absolute objective first appearance of, of funny funny dialogue. Yeah. All right. So, anything else anybody wants to say about this issue? I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, the fan- the most exciting part of this issue is definitely the interaction with the Fantastic yeah. Four. Yeah, absolutely. The, the chameleon yeah, story very, is very nothing to write home villain. about. Yeah. So, all right. So. Amazing Spider-Man number two, second issue. Again, this one has two stories. So, first story synopsis. A winged villain known as the Vulture has been terrorizing New York City for weeks. Spider-Man decides decides to use his powers to get close to the Vulture so he can photograph him and sell the photos to J. Jonah Jameson. He tussles with the Vulture and is defeated, only to develop an anti-magnetic gadget that can knock the Vulture out of the sky. He uses the gadget to stop the Vulture when they fight again and defeats him. Turning him over to the police and getting photos to sell to J. Jonah Jameson, securing a year's worth of rent for him and his Aunt May. The story concludes with the Vulture vowing to escape from jail and exact revenge on Spider-Man. Um, I'm going to say, honestly, I think the Vulture is a lame villain. He's not cool looking. He just flies. There are so many characters in the Marvel Universe who can fly. That's like a, that's like a tertiary power for so many characters. And just yeah. like... Oh, he flies. He doesn't do anything else. He just flies. His costume is stupid. I I've never been a vulture guy. I don't I don't like the vulture. I I kind of sympathize with him just because of how ridiculous he looks. He's just some bald old man <laughs> in a funny green suit. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought that it was interesting that right out of the gate there was no introduction to anything, no setup. Oh just, no, he's just he's, he's just he he's just there. He is. He's flying around and he's. <laughs> Terrorizing everybody, and he says, "I am." He, we we never we never get a name of from him. He's just he's simply introduced as the vulture, refers to himself as the vulture, and at no point is there any characterization of him whatsoever. Yeah. He's just some guy that flies and steals purses. Yeah, I'm gonna play vulture's advocate here for a minute because I actually do like the vulture as a villain. I think that his costume, albeit ridiculous, is so iconic that it's. Just one of my favorites. Not my, definitely not even in my top five or top ten Spider-Man villains. Uh, but I do like the guy. Um, I like that he's got um, some gut. He like leaves a note to the police. Yeah, <laughs> like um, like oh, basically yeah. the I first that was real bizarre. Yeah, like, he, yeah. He, he wraps he wraps a note in a rock and throws it through windows. 
alerting, alerting says, several people that he's going to commit says, a crime. I shall steal the diamond shipment from under your noses. Like, just the most direct threat. Like, yeah. Not at all veiled, like, look out what's coming. He just says, I shall steal the diamond shipment. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just think as a villain, he's very, like, in your face. And I think the fact that he is so obtuse and, like, in this crazy green costume is just what makes the vulture the vulture so yeah i, I do like him as a villain also, i thought the fight scene was cool though the fight the fight was pretty interesting i think the high point is when after fighting him basically to a standstill uh peter parker pulls out a device that was referenced in maybe a half a panel at one point that he invented on the fly uh at no point it's explained how it works what it is or anything until peter parker activates it in the fight Vulture is immobilized. Peter Parker says, I've turned off your gravity machine. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's as close as we get to an explanation of what's happened. That's 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 the 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 primary embodiment yeah. of the of the stereotype I've had of of Silver Age comics. There's expository dialogue, I have just now dropped down from the ceiling and I am going to put my hands on you and take your money. Yeah, and but then he takes the money and I am now taking your money. That's but part there's of no, the charm, though. That's but there's, the no, charm. there's no explanation of things that are actually important to the plot. Yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> it gets explained at the end somewhat, but, like, because he says, oh, yeah, he clarifies. It's an he clarifies. anti-magnetic inverter and he was using magnets to fly, but there is definitely not even a single hint of that throughout yeah. the actual dialogue or storyline yeah. in the in the main part of the, the build-up of the story. So I see where you're coming from. Uh, but I, I think this whole issue is just cool, fun this, to read. This story, yeah. I mean, it was cool. I also want to say, real quick before we move on, um, I think it's interesting that still we're on the, the fourth story here, and he hasn't called himself a superhero. He hasn't said anything about... He re- references his adv- being an adventurer or his mm. adventures as Spider-Man, but doesn't really say anything about fighting crime. And honestly, he seems more interested in catching the vulture to get pictures to sell to the Daily Bugle than he does to actually apprehend him. Yeah, and stop him. A lot. A lot of uh, his preparation was him creating a belt that he could fit a camera onto. Yeah. So that was yeah. What his, his primary concern it's, going. It's into very it. financially driven, and I mean the the this comic even really ends. Uh, at least the vulture story ends. With him paying Aunt May's rent for a year and yeah. buying her kitchen appliances. Yeah. So, I mean, it keeps going back to that. Uh, everything he does is for not entirely himself, but like for his own good. You know, it's not like for the good of man. Uh, he's I, still- think, I think the good of Aunt May is the good of man yeah. for Spider-Man. Which I, I, I respect. I think that's that's a commendable motivation. Yeah. All right, so let's keep it moving uh, for time's sake here because uh, I really need to talk about this next one. The the second story in issue two. Um, Absolutely preposterous. It was, I, I, I loathe it. It's the worst. It. Sven, you want to go ahead and give the synopsis? You want to read the synopsis there? Yep. Peter Parker is approached at school by a local scientist slash mechanic slash inventor and asked if he'd like to help out over the weekend with some science business. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I hear you're pretty good at science, kid. I'm an old man that's deep into some research. Come help me, high schooler. Yeah. Peter, being a gifted science ent- enthusiast, accepts and is tasked with picking up a radio at a repair shop. <laughs> you really had to get the creme de la creme for that job. Yeah. At the repair shop, his spider senses pick up strange energy in the basement. He eventually returns to the shop to find that it is owned by the tinkerer 
a villain who is working with an alien race trying to take over the eastern seaboard. Spider-Man is captured by the aliens, but eventually escapes, defeats them, and prompts them to flee Earth, vowing to never return. Okay, this the, I hated this story. I I could not stand it. It was so annoying. Each panel was more ridiculous than the last. Yeah, it was so stupid, beyond stupid. The Tinkerer is just some like cranky old man who builds devices. The aliens were just like looked like something out of. They looked like aliens that would be in a movie on Mystery Science Theater three thousand. And he this that, tinker that is giving them too much. Credit. The tinker's got these green Martians in like a sweatshop. <laughs> underneath this like it's just weird i i hated it i don't even want to talk about it i like i took a i took i took you know fairly comprehensive notes on all these issues all these stories this one i had three notes one was the first time we see flash thompson referred to by name um peter parker's bully we've seen him in every, pretty much every story so far he's been he's been pretty vocally he's, bullying peter. yes he bullies peter but we see him referenced by name um the second was Spider sense is picking up electric impulses. Um, that's like kind of different and weird. Like we don't really think of his spider sense as like now. I, I would think like his spider sense is now kind of just give him a vague um, alert that there's something awry or something's about some, to happen. Some danger coming up behind. It's him. like a it's a gut instinct yes. versus like a EMP yeah, type. Correct. Like correct. And then my last note was just this: bizarre aliens did not like. <laughs> I hated it. I didn't like it. And then they like captured him in this weird plastic dome and then they did the panel where they showed like the anatomical diagram of his web shooter it was just weird it was just weird i didn't like it he's like fighting these bizarre martians and then they just clear it they just get in their spacecraft and they just leave and that's it yeah this is uh the only alien race in the entire marvel universe that's been depicted once yeah yeah these these guys were the depicted singular one. only depiction of this race this unnamed race that's never again referenced. i mean you can't as far as we know oh. there could be some deep cut depiction of one of the, of these guys in some fucking that, i don't know i hope not yeah well <laughs> i sure hope not the high <laughs> only, oh, no. go ahead no no you go garrett all right the uh, only input i have on this issue is one Spider-Man did whoop up those aliens because oh, they certainly <laughs> beat their asses. So that is cool about this issue. But really, my only remark is: thank God this wasn't the storyline of Amazing Fantasy 15. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the world as we know it today would be a very different place. Yeah. All um, right. Um, I think the, the the highlight for me is uh, the Tinkerer is presented as some kind of technological mastermind. The aliens did all the tinkering. He just said, okay. They had no reason to be partnered up with this guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a buffoon. The, the, he, the, plot, the plot is that aliens are inserting devices into people's radios that are getting repaired at this shop. And for 10 cents yeah, also. They're for 10 cents, <laughs> and they're doing surveillance on them. And for some reason, the president has his radio repaired at this shop. This weird scientist that nobody knows <laughs> that's asking high schoolers for help picking up his, picking up his chores... He, he's worth alien surveillance. I don't know. There's not, not terribly much to say. I do like the comedy, however unintentional, of the idea of a, like a scientist super genius being like, man, it was 10 cents. I couldn't pass up a deal. I had yeah. to get my radio repair <laughs> yeah. there. Everyone is blown away. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So while that story represents to me the dregs, the worst aspects 
of Silver Age superhero comics. I would say the next issue, Amazing Spider-Man 3, the first issue where we see a full-size story, not a half a book story. This is like, this is what I want. This mm-hmm. is like, this is it. This is the best of the best as far as like Silver Age superhero storytelling goes. Um, yeah, we jump from one end of the spectrum to the other absolutely. instantaneously. Yeah. Um, this next issue, first appearance of Doc Ock, who I would say, I would say Doc Ock, I don't know if he's my favorite Spider-Man villain. He's definitely up there. Um, but he, I mean, I guess a lot of people would say Green Goblin is like the... I think he, I think he's the more stereotyped, but I think in my in my mind, uh, my own personal canon, Doc Ock is is Spider's true nemesis. Yeah, he's up there, man. I he's agree. like he's his Joker, the true arch villain. Um, so, so the cover, I love the cover. I loved seeing Doc. I'm a I'm very big on covers. Covers of of uh, each book's cover is important. I think that it, um. You know, it, it really does play an important part. Um, it, is, it is... You, people say you can't judge a book by their cover. The covers are the selling points. Yeah, for books. sure. And I loved seeing Doc Ock, but he's kind of shadowed. His face is covered. It's this It's this very... He's wearing some enormous contraption. Yeah, really and, it's, and it's this very, like... You know, and next to him is the big question mark... And I love how vague he is. Like you see his arms, but you don't see his face. It's covered by shadow. You see the outline. It's it's cool. It's really cool. Um, it gives you just enough to make you want to read the book. I I can imagine that if I was like an eight year old in 1963, I would be lo- absolutely losing my mind looking at this cover, needing to to find out what's going on with this. Yeah, even I do now think- as a a a 26 year old in. 2018, I was like, all right. Yeah, Spider-Man seems to be laid pretty vulnerable by the guy. And you don't know who he is. You don't know what he's about. Yeah. I would say my mind changes pretty often about, like, top once and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But this this may very well be my number one want as far as, like, having an actual issue of it in my hands. Whoa. This is your grail? Just because... Like, Spider-Man being essentially crucified by Doc Ock on yeah. the cover is kind of what it looks like. Yeah. is like, I don't know. It's an it's an incredible cover. I don't think that we've seen, seen anything like it up until now as far as, like, the first couple of issues we've talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, this I agree with you. This is the kind of thing that if I saw this as a kid on a shelf, I would have to, like, pick it up. Like, it's the most yeah. most intriguing of any of the artwork that we've looked at so far. Um, the again the big question mark just the different colors the shadows the like cracking of the wall behind Doc Ock and Spider-Man and then the webbing mm-hmm. across the logo yeah. like Amazing Spider-Man logo yeah, it's all is, perfect to this me, is their so. they're everything, perfecting their craft here everything so far has just pointed to Spider-Man being the man but you look at this issue and you see Spider-Man's screwed you know yeah I mean? he's he's getting his ass whooped here on this he's, cover he's completely at the mercy of of this Unnamed villain. So let's get into the. Well, he's not unnamed. Oh, it says right there, Doctor Octopus. Unseen. Yeah, unseen. partially unseen. Villain. Um, let's get into my the bad. synopsis. Peter's beginning to feel like nothing is challenging him, and all of his escapades of Spider-Man are far too easy. Meanwhile, we see an atomic research scientist, Doctor Otto Octavius, aptly nicknamed Doctor Octopus, 
who has created a set of giant mechanical arms that he can use to experiment on radioactive material without touching it. A laboratory accident occurs and causes an explosion which inexplicably fuses these metal arms to Dr. Octavius. He wakes up in the hospital and when told that he has to stay in bed and rest, feels like he's being kept away from his scientific research out of jealousy. He snaps and takes the hospital workers hostage. Spider-Man tries to rescue them but is beaten easily by Dr. Octopus. Feeling discouraged by his severe defeat, he decides not to continue as Spider-Man. Doc Ock, now unopposed, forcibly takes control of an atomic research lab. Peter hears a motivational speech given by the Human Torch of the Fantastic Four about the importance of perseverance and decides to continue on as Spider-Man. He fights Doc Ock again and defeats him. And I want to say that this is like a good Silver Age origin story. Like, I can completely, like, I mean, obviously it's superhero comics. You have to suspend disbelief about a lot of stuff to to some, you know, to some degree. But this dude is an atomic researcher. He built these metal arms so that he could touch radioactive material and do scientific experiments on it without touching it with his hands, you know? That's like that's believable. That's realistic. Yeah, in a world where the Fantastic 4 exists and made all these insane technological advancements and you know, this is like Reads reads research kind of in a way being spread to other scientists who are able to you know, just just make the future happen kind of stuff. Uh, great great story overall. Doc Ock is the best villain so far. He doesn't have like a lot of uh, uh motivation for himself other than wanting to continue his research. But in the uh, explosion that you know fused the arms to his body, it's like hinted that. His brain is becoming irradiated in some minor way, and he's not, you know, of, of completely sound mind. Yeah, and so then we have... There's an explanation beyond, I want to rob a bank. Yeah, and we have, immediately, he wakes up and he wants to get back to his research, and he's paranoid, and and these people are telling him he can't leave the hospital, and he thinks, well, they're trying to steal my research, they're, they're trying to keep me away from it, and it makes him crazy, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's a better motivation than we've seen out of any of these villains Yeah, so he's, he's the first one that's not acting weird malicious. Yeah. Um... I also absolutely have to point out on page six, there are four panels in a row of Spider-Man crawling up a wall. Um, and there is a very, very, very distinct kind of way that we see his hands and feet articulated here. Um, and that, to me, this is like the blueprint. When we, when you see Spider-Man comics, when you see him crawling up a wall, if you're a Spidey fan, you know the little the way that he puts his fingertips on the wall. You know what I mean? You know the way that he puts his toes on the wall. He does this yeah. kind of weird, creepy, like you know, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. The weird, like it's, fingertips it's, only it's with delicate his, in a way. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you see it in in on the poster for the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. You see it in the films. You see it in in everything in every Spider-Man medium. There is a very distinct way that he crawls up walls and here on page six this is like the first time that i'm seeing it this is like to me this is the blueprint for that and i loved seeing it i thought that was really interesting um uh we see so doc ock takes over um and a doc ock here is similar to j jonah jameson in the sense that this is not too far off from the Doc Ock that we know today in 2018. You know what I mean? Um, so we see this first fight scene. It's awesome. There's a lot of cool panels. Spider-Man jumping um, away, trying to like dodge Doc Ock's arms. And Doc Ock just kind of um, 
you know, grabs him and he's holding him in place and he's like slapping him and saying, you mm-hmm. dared to mock me before. Why aren't you mocking me now? Where are your brave words and taunts now, Spider-Man? And it's like, that's like, he's totally a Doc Ock's mercy. And that's like the, that's like he, Doc Ock is like, yeah, Doc Ock has uh, one, one robot arm for each of Spider-Man's regular arms. He's holding him completely at his mercy and he's slapping him with his hand. I think something else that's interesting to point out about this particular issue is that in uh, since we were talking about the art direction quite a bit, in a series where so far a lot of the art has been awkward, there was never a point where I felt like Doc Ock's arms looked weird or awkward, too short, too long, anything like that. Yeah. I feel like he looks consistent and scary no matter if he's like... He looks scary, like to begin with, yeah, that's, before he's even like a villain. Yeah, and then he he looks like horrifying in the hospital, like where he's all bandaged up. Yeah, yeah. and then once he's like actually broken out and is like, it, you know, it's almost like his final form, like he's in his lab coat and he just looks like so so cool and frightening and like he just looks right every time you see him. Yeah, so I think that's something that's pretty pretty well achieved in this issue is Doc Ock looking the way a villain should look. And not looking like a silly little flailing guy. Yeah, I was gonna say too the that one of the notes that I took was uh, on page ten, the sequence of him crawling around and crawling into the uh, the atomic research center. He looks creepy. It's yeah. weird, and like him in the ceiling, like kind of hovering over this like guard, like and like in the, in the next page, page using, eleven, using his arms to walk his 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 octopus arms. Yeah, next page, page eleven, he's like hiding through this this weird like vent in the wall and his like arm is coming through to like break the lock on the door it's very cool and it's it's the best art we've seen so far in my opinion he's, he's the first spider-man villain to look physically menacing yeah for sure for sure because like i said vulture just looked dorky um tinker looked kind of dorky um yeah this, nah. is, this is the first one spider-man's spider-man's in trouble and yeah. So, yeah, he gets, I mean, he gets beaten. It's the first time we see him, like, really get beaten. He gets mm-hmm. smacked up. Um, so then he goes to school. Human Torch gives the motivational speech, you know, about Perseverance, which is so 60s. That's so, like, mm-hmm. Silver Age. Yeah. Um, he's, he's been tasked, uh, the Fantastic Four has been tasked with uh, arresting Doc Ock, bringing him to justice since apparently Spider-Man quit. Uh, also, we haven't talked about it. Spider-Man, once or twice, or maybe even three times at this point, has... Displayed some really bizarre tech. He has a he has a, a searchlight. Oh, his belt! His yeah, like weird he, belt that he shines his logo on walls. Yeah, he, he he will will come up behind a criminal and then shine his light in front of them. Yeah, it's strange. And it is, <laughs> it's really the most bizarre thing on the planet. But yeah, since but, you mentioned like Batman and Batman villains earlier, I think that's kind of funny too. Um, I don't know if that was like an intentional like play on the bat signal or anything. God, God but knows. I, but I think it is pretty funny yeah. that, like, instead of the city beckoning for, like, spy- oh, like, the Spidey signal in the sky, like, asking him to come help, Spider-Man's almost, like, his own, his own, yeah. like, hype man, where yeah. he, like, shines <laughs> his own light and is like, what's up? I'm here. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, so, overall, this is the best issue so far. I, I would, I yeah. think, this is probably the best issue of the five that we read in this batch. I, it was awesome. It Agreed. was so good. It's oh, have, everything that a, I want from a Silver we have Age. A, we have a close second coming up. I am I am a big fan of the main villain. The next issue, the Sandman, issue four. Um, so, 
uh, I'll I'll read the plot synopsis of issue four here. Um, does any, before we do, does anybody else have any closing notes on issue three, Garrett? No. No. All right. Um, so, Amazing Spider-Man four. A prisoner named Flint Marco has escaped from prison, and in a nuclear mishap, that which is so Silver Age, has been granted the power to turn his body into sand. He's now using his newfound powers to rob banks. Spider-Man attacks Sandman only to have his mask ripped in battle, forcing him to retreat, lest the public find out his true identity. Later, after committing a robbery, Sandman is running from the police and winds up at Peter's high school. Peter fights and defeats the Sandman. After, Peter finally stands up to his bully, Flash Thompson, only to stop himself from beating him up with his Spider-Man powers because he knows it would be an unfair fight. Peter begins to question his motivation for continuing as Spider-Man, ending the book with him saying that to, he must continue to be Spider-Man while he searches for his purpose. So I thought that was interesting that he kind of was like, you know, like, what's the point? But, you know, in the meantime, while I'm figuring all this out, I might as well keep it up because I feel this, he feels this like weird obligation, you know? Um, but yeah, so the Sandman, um, my first note, the first page, uh, Sandman just kind of laughing maniacally with this humongous money bag and yeah, Spider-Man's one, one like, hand holding up money. His other hand is presumably up, but Spider-Man's torn into his torso with yeah. a punch. Um, this, that first panel should have been the cover. There's, un, that's, and with the nothing can stop the Sandman with the Sandman he, and that cool he logo. quite literally looks like God. Yeah, he looks hard, dude. <laughs> he looks so cool. That should have been the cover. I mean, the cover was like, like bizarre, I don't know. Bizarre, bizarre. I didn't like uh, the cover too much. It was like, it, four, four it was like a, yeah, it was a four panel cover. I didn't, I didn't need that. I, the cover, the first page should have been the cover. That told me all I needed to know. Um, yeah, also on the first page, all, I, you may have mentioned this, but all three of the policemen are shooting at him. Like, yeah, yeah. So, like, there's, like, three bullets coming at him. Spider-Man is punching him. There's sort of, like, the left and right thing going on with the classroom and the police. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, I think and, that it's way more it all, beautifully done. Yeah, and through it all, the Sandman is just standing there laughing, firmly cackling. on the ground, head back, just laughing. Okay, so... Uh, the, the, this one was so weird to me, this part... He sees these dudes walking across the street, and he thinks to himself, oh, they're about to go rob a bank. So he webs them up, and they immediately are just like, hey, we didn't do anything. And they, like, they like start, like, threatening to sue him. Like yeah, they, that, 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 he's, that he's wrongfully putting them under citizen's arrest. Yeah, and they <laughs> and threaten to sue him, and he's like, oh, I, I better clear it now. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just they bizarre. Start, it had start, nothing to do with the rest of the book. They, start, they start yelling for a cop, and then... <laughs> and, Spider-Man's there trying to shut them up. He's it's like it's like he's babysitting kids at that point, and they're yelling for a cop, crying injustice. And Spider-Man dips out of there, where he comes upon the Sandman, having done nothing really. I think he's yeah. just walking. Yep, he is. No, no, no. He's, he's climbing up a building, climbing up a ladder. No, because it was he. No, he's he saw the police chasing somebody, and he just kind of assumed, which is funny, because in the page before he assumed he these guys exactly were going to rob that, a bank, yeah. and webbed them up, and then they threatened to sue. Um, but, um, well, I think the whole, that whole scene really, like, it's way too long, mm -hmm. but I think that scene sets up him going to that rooftop and being like, oh man, everyone thinks I'm a criminal because of J. Jonah Jameson. And that's where he leaves the webbing to like prank him. Yeah. yeah. So really that whole scene is like a setup for the prank. So I don't know why I they thought, took so many, like took so long to get that I, scene I across. Will, I will come out and say it. I thought that was the best, uh, non-serious interaction he's had at that point. I the thought prank? it was perfect comic, comic relief. The, the Him falsely arresting the people, them yelling at him, trying to get a cop over, and then him saying, man, 
this happened because everybody everybody thinks I'm a jerk because of J. Jonas Jameson. I'm just gonna go gonna go screw with. Yeah. Him. So as we <laughs> as we touched on earlier in the in this episode, he so he goes to J. Jonah Jameson's office to confront him. J. Jonah Jameson is not there, so he decides it would be funny to web up J. Jonah Jameson's desk chair so that when uh, he sits in it. when he comes back and sits in it, it, he'll get stuck, which he does, and it is funny. It is so funny. It it was it was a joke. I thought. You know, yawn when I read the setup, and then when I later it, later in the issue saw Jay Jonathan standing, Jay Jonah Jameson standing there without his pants, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just in his drawers in, in his office. Yeah, the idea of Spider-Man webbing up his chair and then Peter Parker bringing him a pair of pants. Yeah, oh, but also just the, the like fact that they have him with his pants already off. Yes, like he yeah. didn't wait to change his pants. Yes. he took his pants off and has been waiting nude in yes. his office. Well, they show him first with the standing up with the chair stuck to his butt, I think, and yeah. then they show him with no <laughs> pants, and it's awesome. Um, I really liked it at the bottom of page five. There's a sequence of Sandman jumping off a roof um, and kind of using his like dissolving into sand powers. Um, and I really liked the way that was illustrated. And I felt like him saying um, it's easy to jump off of, uh, off of the roof of a building for a guy. If he can just turn into small weightless sand particles, then after I land on the sidewalk, blah, 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 all I have to do is reform. Like it didn't need any of that. We saw that he jumped off the roof, turned into sand <laughs> and like... And it would have been so much cooler without yeah, horrible, all that exposition. That, I, will, I will say, though, this is... I messed up earlier. I said that there was an issue, uh, a part where Peter Parker fantasized about being in jail and Aunt May selling shoelaces. It's it's, it's this, this issue. issue. This yeah. issue, so, yeah. I, I thought that I was so rescind, weird. I rescind my, my, my comments. Um, we see some interesting use of Sandman's powers, too. Besides jumping off the roof, he can, like, form his finger into a key to open up this vault at the bank. across the floor. He slide it, yeah. measures at a bank. Yeah, do a bunch of stuff like that. And it's it's definitely interesting. Um, yeah, dude, J. Jo- I, uh, just passing by J. Jonah Jameson standing there with no pants on is is awesome. A panel, a panel that's historically important. Yes, absolutely. It should be in the Smithsonian. But, uh, so then the Sandman... Evades the police, evades Spider-Man, tries to take refuge in the school of none other than one Peter Parker. Wrong school to take hiding in. Uh, yeah. Um, and then I was going to say this is that, uh, so Peter Parker was supposed to go on a date um, with uh, one of his classmates, Liz, and he has to bail on her um, to go do Spider-Man stuff. And it's the first time we really see his social life. His social life, yeah, take a back seat. He has to bail on something that he really wants to do as Peter Parker because he has an obligation to go do something as Spider-Man. And that is a recurring theme. Yeah, that, that becomes a cornerstone of the entire character, and this is the, the first time you see it. Yeah, so I really liked to see that. That was interesting. Um, I think it's funny that he sucks. He defeats the Sandman by sucking him up with a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty crazy. And then, and then <laughs> he laments that, oh, now that I captured him, I couldn't take any pictures to send to the Bugle for, for news. So he goes to the janitor's closet takes a bucket of sand that's meant to put out a fire, you know, uh, like a pre-fire extinguisher <laughs> fire setup, and throws it in the air, takes a picture of himself diving through the sand particles, and tries to pass it off later <laughs> to Jameson as as a picture of him fighting the Sandman. Amazing. Yeah, there's a line of dialogue at that part that I really like where Spider-Man says, since this really happened a few minutes ago, it can't be unethical. <laughs> it's, like shooting, it's like shooting a retake of a movie. Yeah. And like, just the idea of Spider-Man justifying to that justify like, to himself out loud. Yeah, that's yeah, that's such like a to me that's such an <laughs> I don't know to me that's a relatable thing where you 
you justify things in your head and what i like about it is that it's never really addressed later in the issue yeah. that it like kind of is unethical yeah like spider-man's just like this is there's nothing wrong with this yeah like, i also also love that he's he's having to justify him taking advantage of somebody that has repeatedly thrown him under the bus yeah. innumerable times and <laughs> has him on an FBI wanted list from an earlier issue. Um, I, I he still feels bad like, about about tricking Jameson. <laughs> I also like, um, since we were talking about the fight sequence with Sandman, uh, I like just for personal reasons how Sandman uses his like sand powers to make weapons out of his hands yeah, that are like big cool. blocks. Uh, that's something that pops up a lot and if... if you've played any spider-man video game that's like a oh. very common way of oh yeah sandman attacking you oh yeah uh so it's just cool to see it in the actual comic and yeah. then you know kind of relate it back to where i've seen it in games yeah so. um i was gonna say also i think this is the first time we see him referred to as the friendly neighborhood spider-man which is a moniker that sticks with him for a while for i mean it, it's still going yeah half, i mean yeah. that's he gets referred to as that a lot um so the final panel he kind of the final panel of the book is him um and he's kind of like questioning you know like we said he's kind of like you know why like he's kind of starting he walks, to think about walks, like, why do home. i do this yeah he walks home and he hears every over single person these- on this path is is complaining about how spider-man's a show-off spider-man's a know-it-all spider-man's this spider-man's that we don't like him this and that daily bugle says this oh i saw that and nobody really has a good opinion of him yeah so it's interesting um and we see him finally start to kind of be like, you know, why am I, why am I really doing this? We see some like characterization, and I'm excited to see that um, expanded upon. Um, but I think for now we're gonna move on to the last issue in this episode that we're doing, Spider-Man number five. And I'm so excited that it's a Doctor Doom issue. Doctor Doom is the the best Marvel villain. Do- yeah, Overall. Doctor Doom is like he is. He is the Marvel villain, I would say. He is like, you know, and he's a Fantastic Four villain historically, uh, an Avengers villain as well. Um, but, um, yeah, so they put him up. They put him up with Spider-Man, and I, I, I this must be a testament to how well this the the book was selling, because you know, for them to be like that's, to put their amazing. their A-list villain in the Spider-Man book, you know what I mean? Either a testament to how amazing it was selling or how terribly it was selling. And yeah. by all accounts, historically, the book was selling well. So it's, it was either it was either um, you know, congratulations, you've done enough. Maybe you've earned this, or oh crap, it's selling terribly. Put this on the cover, see who buys it. Yeah. So um, you want to read this uh, plot synopsis, Finn? Absolutely, brother. <clears throat> J. Jonah Jameson broadcasts a TV special made to paint Spider-Man as a menace. Doctor Doom, a villain of the Fantastic Four, sees the broadcast and thinks that since Spider-Man is such a menace, he should recruit Spidey to help him fight the Fantastic Four. Doom asks Spider-Man to join him, Spidey declines, and Doom attacks Spider-Man. After hearing Peter Parker denounce Spider-Man in an attempt to throw off the trail of his identity, Peter's classmates set up a prank where Flash Thompson will dress up as Spider-Man and attack Peter. Doctor Doom captures Flash, mistaking him for the real Spider-Man, and then broadcasts that he has taken Spidey hostage and will kill him in one hour (laughs) if the Fantastic Four do not come to rescue him. Spider-Man goes to fight Doom, rescue Flash, and is beaten by Doom. But just in the nick of time, the Fantastic Fantastic Four show up and Doctor Doom flees. Um, yeah, so really, like, this, this... This issue had every single thing I could hope to want from from a Spider-Man. Did you like this issue more than 
the Doc Ock issue? I liked it more as just a funny comic. I think that the Doc Ock one was more important as a Spider-Man comic to the continuity, the establishment of characters. But this one, this one kind of just had it all for me. I'm a really big Doctor Doom fan. I love a th- the trope in like old Silver Age comics and Golden Age comics too, where the bully kind of has it turned on him in a way, and then you know he ends up just getting taken hostage by one of the scariest dudes on the planet. Yeah, and <laughs> threatened to be killed in an hour. Um, for, for trying to dress up and screw with Peter. Yeah. I thought it was hysterical. Hysterical um, outcome. S- uh, I, w- I want to say this. I think that the Dr. Doom and Peter Parker fight was interesting. Um, it wasn't really much of a fight. It was like literally... It, it literally seemed like a Home Alone movie. It was just like Spider-Man just going through Doom's lair and Doom having all these like booby traps and like bizarre mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. gadgets. Um... I I really, 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 really was reading this the whole time thinking, God, I hope Spider-Man does not just outright beat Dr. Yeah, Doom. punch him or something. Because there's just... Dr. Doom is so out of Spider-Man's uh, weight. You know, he's so out of his class. And, and, and it's like... It's like... It would just be so, like, pandering if they had Spider-Man mm-hmm. just beat Doctor Doom. Give, so I'm really... Captain America Hitler punch. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that Doctor Doom basically beat Spider-Man and almost killed him and... And then almost killed his... Not his friend, but, you know, his, yeah, his classmate. Yeah, but I really like that it required the Fantastic Four to come Step rescue in, Spider-Man. Ass. Um, it was, it was, It was more, you know, that's what I wanted to see. Um, one thing that I thought was really funny was when the Fantastic Four show up. Um, Reed Richards is kind of like so Fantastic Four show up Doctor Doom flees Spider-Man flees they see uh, Flash Thompson dressed up as Spider-Man they deduce that he's not the real Spider-Man and then uh, Reed Richards who is supposed to be like one of the smartest if not the smartest you know person in, in the Marvel continuity says hmm lots of pieces of webbing around I suspect the real Spider-Man was here <laughs> well, well, yeah. Like I love that. No like, shit, Sherlock. Yeah, that insanely tr- like stupid observation from this dude who's like a quantum physicist who's supposed to be like, I mean, on par with like maybe Hank Pym and like a few others as like the smartest people in the Marvel continuity. Yeah, I I thought that the uh, the highlight for me was the opening of uh, Doctor Doom, the second smartest man allegedly in the uh, Marvel continuity, one of the wealthiest. Uh, the second best sorcerer behind Doctor Strange, and he's fooled into thinking that Spider-Man is actually a bad guy by some biased journalism. <laughs> really crappy <laughs> biased journalism on TV. Fooled by a bogus report. More yeah. more fake news for you. Sad. <laughs> okay, well, talking about the... Uh, like, as far as a report being on TV, um, I- I'm going to kind of jump around by saying this in a way, but... Something that with, like, current, like, MCU stuff and with a lot of just more recent comics and media relating to the Marvel Universe, I definitely have at points been a stickler for, like, oh, like, I don't don't like seeing super culturally relevant things appear in movies sometimes because I'm like, oh, that's so out of the universe type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Just, like, Spider-Man with an iPhone, basically. Those those type of things can kind of rub me the wrong way. More recently, Black Panther... 
Wakanda, flying in Wakanda. Yeah, what are those? Oh yeah, well, okay. Yeah, I, not, I like that, but you know, the continue. movie was amazing, but that part that was like the worst part of the movie. For me. Yeah, anyways, that's exactly ahead. what I'm referring to, though. Okay. Like normally, I'm really against that kind of stuff, uh-huh. but something in this issue kind of made me like almost like vouch for it and be okay with it. Whenever again, uh, it's already been mentioned in an earlier issue, but Peter Parker's like, "Hey, Aunt May, what are you watching?" And she's watching the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. I, it's even even in these early Amazing Spider-Mans culturally like topical stuff was kind of mm-hmm. featured yeah and so i think to me that kind of justifies it still happening today and yeah. like yeah. to you and stuff like that it's, it's nothing uh, it, new it makes me hate seeing it a little bit less because then mm-hmm. it's like okay even then they were like uh doing that kind of thing um that was the main thing that i i noticed about that issue um as far as the actual Doctor Doom fight scene, I also agree that it was kind of just like all these different gadgets being thrown at Spider-Man. I liked uh, it, though. It was interesting. It was different from what we've seen so far. Yeah. He's running some kind of gauntlet through his lab that's also just, for whatever reason, in New York. <laughs> oh, and something I thought was worth uh, remarking about is that as far as like the character of Spider-Man being relatable, and I know I've mentioned quite a few times like how, how close he is with his Aunt May, but he needs to go like save the day. But then Aunt May is like, "No, you need to stay home." Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's it's that's not like a that's not even like a inner struggle of like Peter Parker trying to figure out, oh, do I go on this date with this girl or do I like fight yeah. this villain? It's just like his Aunt May is like, "No, I need you to stay home." Tonight. Yeah, yeah. Which is like very like no superhero has like their mom telling you yeah, to stay yeah, home yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um. So it's I thought that was pretty interesting. That, yeah, like, definitely. Like, he like cuts the power to like be like, oh, I gotta go get a new fuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, just didn't... to be able to go fight the villain, like that was a really um, like almost like you were saying like Doc Ock being creating this thing and being a scientist like kind of how it all made sense like mm-hmm. to me the whole spider-man actually getting to the fight was something that pretty much i'm sure anyone reading this comic at the time that it came out was like t- could totally relate to being like wanting to go do something in their mom saying no yeah you know yeah, so yeah. i think that makes spider-man one of the that's one of the things that makes spider-man the character that he is is yeah. that quality of being just like any other high school kid mm-hmm. um and that's like the most one of the most forward examples of it of the first time that ma is really just like no can you please stay home yeah like, <laughs> yeah we didn't we didn't talk about it in the last issue but uh in his initial confrontation with sandman spider-man's mask gets split open and he goes home mm-hmm. to repair it and aunt may's not used to seeing him in his room just hanging out, so she he thinks that uh, she thinks that he's sick, and he tells her that he has his fever, so that he can just stay in bed all night. And he's just underneath the covers knitting, but you know, throughout the the few panels in the next page or two, she just comes into his room with soup to take his temperature and just just you know, annoying him as any any mother you know grandmother mother whatever figure, mother, mother figure, figure in this case yeah would to to their teenage kid yeah and it was it was a it was a good Peter Parker on me brought it down to earth yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so last thing about this issue, we definitely got to touch on because it becomes such a cornerstone of the, um, Spider-Man Peter Parker character is his romantic interest. And mm-hmm. this is the first time we see him showing romantic interest in Betty Brant, uh, J. Jonah Jameson's secretary. I mean, I feel like people who are uh, familiar with Spider-Man on a service movie, uh, or service, excuse me, a service level be, with the movies cut to them. Yeah. They would, they would think, uh, you know, um, you know, Mary Jane, uh, maybe Gwen Stacy, no, maybe Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Yeah, but but the you know earlier on we see Betty Brant and 
after the unnamed or un un unlast named Liz. Yeah, I mean, uh, Liz. He was like, it was just said like, oh, we were gonna go on a date, and now we mm-hmm. can't. But that's like, that's really it. This one, there's yeah, like some is, some a little bit more characterization. Like yeah, yeah, they're they're talking to each other. Peter's like having these inner monologues, singing about how she's good looking and. Um, and how he he gets kind of like shy and like nervous, and mm-hmm. uh, I think she's like considerably older than him too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so it's like paints it as this like you know in the way that like a you know like a thirteen year old kid would be attracted to like their teacher or something and like feel like weird about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because this is his boss's secretary. So yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's very real and it's very. You know, the first time we see like a real romantic interest for Peter Parker. So, mm-hmm. um, anybody else have anything they want to say about this issue? No, I think it's uh, I think it's great that it tied in with Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think early on, Spider Man does a good job of uh, like the series. I mean, does a good job of like being relevant to the rest of the mm-hmm. Marvel universe of the time. Uh, and I think this issue is just a testament to that of kind of keeping people's interests, whether it be with new characters or familiar faces. Yeah. Yeah. So, my, my favorite Spider-Man stories have always been, uh, him interacting with the heroes around him. Cause they're who he measures himself up to, mm-hmm. uh, the, the real shortcomings of the movies up until, you know, Captain America and then homecoming that Spider-Man has been in is that he's been isolated. He's been alone. And I think Spider-Man does best when he plays with others. And it's, it's, it's been so nice to see that in the movies, him looking up to Iron Man him, you know, interacting with Cap, him just talking to heroes that he looks up to, because he is, he, as a character, just emulates, he tries to emulate the, the, the people that he thinks are cool, the people that he thinks yeah. are good people, good heroes that do the right thing, and, you know, Absolutely. that's, that's, that's what Spider-Man is to me. Yeah. So, it's good to see a lot of that in the early issues with the Fantastic Four. Yeah. All right, so I think that's going to wrap things up for us. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you guys for bearing with us here as we, uh, we were thinking this was going to be about 45 minutes to an hour and we're coming in wow. on an hour and 35 minutes now. So, um, uh, thank Ooh. you guys who bared with us. Um, really appreciate it. Um, I want to give a shout out to, uh, CJ's comics in Fort Lauderdale, my favorite comic book shop in the area. They um, have never, never not, they've never done us wrong. Never done us wrong. Sven and I go in there all the time. Um, uh, they hook us up with awesome deals. You can find a lot of cool Spider-Man and any other stuff that yeah. you'd want to find there. Um, Incredible back catalog. Huge selection of toys. Yeah, really awesome. And and uh, they're not sponsoring us in any way. But no, we, no, we're, we're just talking them up because they're, they're the shit. They're yeah, awesome. they are. They are the, the coolest. Um, so, yeah. So, um, hopefully uh, we can uh, knock out an episode number two pretty soon. But mm-hmm. uh, in the meantime, um, we're going to go ahead and sign off. I am Lennon. Sven. Garrett. Thank you guys very much for listening. Peace.